Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich or Miss, episode 108. Hey, Richards, and warm regards from the UK, where I am with one of the startups launching here the new product. We've got a wonderful conversation today, interview today with Dwayne Clark. We are trying to give you as much tools and ideas about how to succeed faster with your entrepreneurship. So I recommend you to go to richomiss.com to the show notes and check out my cheat sheet of the daily routine of successful entrepreneurs. I believe you'll find the things that will help you succeed faster. Dwayne J. Clark Under his leadership, Ages has grown to more than 30 locations, employs more than 3,000 staff members, and has served over 60,000 residents. Dwayne grew up poor with often not enough money for food. The family solution was to make a potato soup meant to last a week. Today, he supports more than 70 local and global charities and has founded four of his own, including the D1 Foundation, the Potato Soup Foundation, the Clark Family Legacy Foundation, and the Queen Bee Cafe. His book, 30 Summers More, contains the lessons from longevity that Clark has amassed from the frontline view as the CEO of Ages Living, combined with the latest health and wellness research on living well as we age. Dwayne J. Clark, what a pleasure to have you here. Hi! Thank you. I'm excited to be on your show. I am so excited that you are here, and it's so great to have you. I just shared with my audience, my listeners, what you've done until now. And I would like to start by asking you to share with us what are you doing and what's passionate about today, and where are you heading? Well, that's a fantastic question, because I don't lack for passion. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I own a company called Aegis Living, which is one of the uh, premier senior housing companies in the United States um, with almost 40 locations. I've run that company for almost 22 years as its chairman and CEO. And that company's in a very rapid growth mode. We have about six or $700 million under development. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we have almost 3,000 employees and hiring another couple thousand here within the next five years. And it's, it's a great company. What I love about it is it's a, it's a fantastic culture. So we spend a lot of time really caring for our people. We were voted best company to work for by Glassdoor and the top 50 companies out of all. Wow. Uh, nominated. We've been uh, selected best company to work for about 12 times by various publications. So we're a passionate, passionate culture. In fact, yesterday, um, one of the things that we did is we have our own in-house lottery. Wow. So uh, a very unusual kind of thing. And it, it all started one day when uh, one of my staff 
um, a line staff member, I was talking to her and she says, well, I got to get out of here. I have to go buy a lotto ticket. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, what really, what's the odds of winning a lotto ticket? Cause I'm not a gambler. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, oh, it's about one in 26 million. Oh. And as she left, I thought, wow, I wonder if I could develop my own in-house lotto ticket and make it a benefit for my staff. And so I went back and I suggested this idea to my senior team, my senior management team. And they all looked at me like I was crazy. Like, you know, what are you talking about having an in-house lotto? And I said, well, but the way we would do it is for every person that worked an additional year in the company would give them an extra chance in the lotto. And so it could be, a, it would be a staff retention program. Wow. And again, you know, they, they looked at me like, oh man. And so, you know, I did not give up on this idea. I followed each of my staff or members around the hall and they said, Hey, I want to talk about the lotto program. And they'd see me kind of <laughs> run for the office. And, and so I just, I just think it's now, you know, yesterday we gave away $72,000. Wow. Um, we had the grand prize winner won $40,000, which is, and, and we pay the taxes. So that's net. So it's life-changing money for someone that's, you know, making twenty five, thirty $30,000 a year. And, um, you know, we, we have about 70 corporate staff. It's a full production. Um, you can go on YouTube and, and, and see them. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think the benefit of it is, you know, you always have to be thinking it creatively as a CEO about the kinds of things you can do for your staff and how you do them. And, and even if your senior team thinks you're crazy, don't give up on those passions. So. <laughs> but I, you know, it's, go ahead. I love that. It's, it's a fantastic story. Oh, thank you. What are you into today? Are you just keep doing the same? I know that you are with a new book coming out yeah. and some new other things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I have a book coming out called 30 Summers More. The original title is called 30 Summers Left, and we changed it. People said, well, I want 30 Summers More instead of 30 Summers Left. So it's a bit more positive, mm. a, bit, a bit more optimistic. And I've been working on the book with a, with a medical doctor and a PhD for almost five years now. And oh. the, the way it started was I thought I've taken care of about 60,000 elderly in the course of my career. And I thought, you know, there's, I, I've got to get some wisdom out of, out of this experience. And, and maybe there's some things I can pass on to people. And, um, you know, about six months into writing the book, this is about four and a half years ago, yeah. I had a medical in- issue and ended up in the hospital for about three days. And I asked my wife, I said, well, bring in the manuscript. I want to work on it. And as I was sitting there working on the manuscript, I had this epiphany and said, you know, this book is not about the 30,000 or 60,000, you know, elderly people. This book is about changing the lives of 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds and 60-year-olds. And uh, the book took a turn at that point and my health took a turn. So I changed my diet. I changed my exercise program. I lost almost 50 pounds over the next couple of years and um, totally changed my lifestyle, even down to the television programs I watched. And then I started studying longevity programs all over the world. I would read research papers two or three hours a day, every day. And, you know, I traveled a different country. I talked to to people who'd been 100 years old or plus. Um, I talked talk to people about their longevity practice. In fact, just last week I was in Iceland um, talking to, you know, I was in the, in the blue lagoon in Iceland, um, <laughs> dipping in their cold pools at 28 degrees outside because that's one of their, their secrets to health. So, 
you know, it's uh, it's fascinating. And what I've done in, in 30 Summers More is brought back all the best practices and the things that, uh, that, that we're doing wrong, especially in America, that may be killing us. And, you know, even though we're a highly educated, highly wealthy co- country, um, we're still, you know, not even in the top 30 in terms of our health practices. So um, we're, we, yeah. we need to get better. Wow. So when is the book going to publish? Yeah, the book's going to come out in probably late June, just after Father's Day. Uh, it's going to be sold on Amazon. Hmm. Um, and it's this is my sixth book. I've written a variety of other books. Um, people can go on my website, which is just Dwayne J. Clark, D-W-A-Y-N-E-J, the initial, and Clark without an E, C-L-A-R-K.com. And, you know, this is a passion of mine, I should say. I don't make a penny on any of these books. All profits that I receive for the books go to charity. Hmm. So uh, my motivation is not making money, but my motivation my motivation is really to educate people and you know help them have a better life. And that's I feel like I'm blessed to have a great life, and I want to help people do the same. Twin, and when did this start? How how did you start with both? Your entrepreneurship as well as this passion to help people to change life and to take care of elderly people, which 20 years ago or 15 years ago wasn't a norm. It wasn't so popular like it is today. Yeah. Well, I think there's several answers to that question, Hyatt. I think that, you know, I, I have to give my mother credit because I was, I was raised in a very, very um, poor family. Um, I was the youngest of four children. And there's a very, um, I guess, infamous story about me when I was a, I was kind of a rough teenager. I mean, I was, hmm. I, I, I didn't have it all figured out when I was in my teens. And uh, my mother actually took me out of a, a public school and moved me 100 miles to a private school because I was kind of a juvenile delinquent. Oh. And uh, during that time, she she was a cook in a restaurant. So she had to move and 100 miles to join me almost a year later. And uh, she came home from her job as a cook one day and she said, we don't have any money. And of course, as a smart aleck kid, I said, well, what's new? And she kind of ignored me. And we had this one kind of one bedroom, very small apartment. She walked over to the, to the refrigerator and she opened it. And there was an onion, a cube of butter and like a half a can of condensed milk. And she turned to me and she said, I'm going to have to steal from work so we could eat. And, you know, as a smart out kid, I said, oh, good, steal some steaks, you know, and she came over and gave me a good whack across the face. And she goes, this is an incredibly serious moment. You know, I've never stole anything in my life. I don't want you to ever steal anything. You know, we are highly ethical people, but we're going to have to do this to eat. And, you know, we'll pay them back with interest when we get paid. So the very next morning is like a bank heist. We go into her place of business and with a big bucket and steal 10 pounds of potatoes and come home. And we made potato soup and we ate potato soup for about two weeks till she got paid. And uh, that endeavor uh, probably changed my life because we had these profound discussions. And my mom would say to me, you know, I want you to realize that, you know, during the course of your life, I know you're going to you know, ascend to some level of greatness, hmm. but never forget that you ate potato soup for two weeks because there will always be people that have problems and issues. And, you know, as a leader, you have to be smart enough to know and anticipate this and have emotional intelligence about this. And so that, that really much motivated, really motivated wow. me. Um, you know, I think when you have poverty in your life, you have two choices. You can 
bemoan it and say, poor me, I'm poor, I had bad parents, sure. things I did, you know, you can go that track or you can go, God, that was a great gift. You know, that was the best university that I could, I could have gone to because now I know what I don't want in my life. I don't want that. And so I chose the latter and it, it motivated me. Uh, my grandmother also lived with us for a certain period of time, a, a great deal of time before I was 10, 11 years old. And she was a great lady of distinction. Fallon broke her head, ended up going to a nursing home. And they treated her with horrible, uh, no, no dignity, no dignity whatsoever. Oh. And here was a woman who owned her own business in the 30s and spoke four languages and you know was brilliant. So I think those experiences motivated me to build a substantial company. You know, we, we have over about two and a half billion dollars in real estate. Um, and, you know, and, and to be compassionate to people, you know, compassionate to our residents, realize their plight, um, compassionate to our staff. And, you know, those experience never left me. And that poverty never left me. It lives inside of me. And um, mm. I've just been able to channel that and, and make those into motivators as opposed to handicapping myself. Sure, but there is something else. You said that your mother really believed you were going to be great. Yes. You meant to greatness, isn't it? Yeah. It is so much, I believe. I mean, with all the issues that you had to um, struggle and to win, there was a mother with all this hard times that really believes you're going to be great. Yeah, I, you know, I have, uh, I'm expecting my ninth grandchildren any day now. So I, we, my wife and I have eight. Wow. Eight grand, we're blessed, only two kids, but. Uh, you are blessed. Yeah, so we love it. So we're expecting our ninth grandchild any, any day now. And, you know, one of the things that I try to tell my grandkids and, and my kids is that the greatest gift you can give any child is confidence. Um, you know, you can, it doesn't do any good to buy them things or, you know, do whatever. If you instill confidence in your children, man, that is the greatest gift. They can overcome any adversity. Um, and, you know, my mom always, like when I would go and get a job, even if I was a dishwasher, she'd say, now, I know you're going to do a great job being a dishwasher, but I want you to look at your boss's boss job and analyze that job and say, hey, is he smarter than I? What, what can I do to get his job? And so I was constantly evaluating two rungs up the ladder for myself. And, you know, mm -hmm. that gave me the ability to start my own company because I just thought, hey, I can do this, you know. And I was 37 mm -hmm. years old when I founded Aegis. And I said, oh, you know, I can do this. I and I, I think one of the things that people don't understand is they think, to be a founder, a CEO, a chairman, a president, whatever, that they have to know everything. Well, the, reali <laughs> the reality is you just have to have one or two special skills that make you unique. And then you can hire everything else. And I think one of the things that prevents people from going out and being an entrepreneur is they don't have that confidence. They don't have that belief in themselves. And they don't have the belief that they can hire their weaknesses. And I think that's the essence of success for entrepreneurs. They're like, hey, I have, you know, whatever it is, I have this skill in the software issue, or I have this skill in, you know, marketing, or I have this skill in operations, but I don't know finance. Okay, well, great. Go hire a finance guy. And, and you need to study like heck to make sure that you get up to speed. I mean, I, I probably, one of the practices that I had in my 20s 
is I would read the Sunday morning paper and, and I would look at the New York bestseller list nonfiction every week. And I challenged myself yeah. to read one of those business books every, every week. And so I became yeah. a fountain of knowledge about, you know, the world's best, you know, practitioners. And I developed my own management, my own practices, my own ideologies, my own recipes from doing that. And so, you know, it, it doesn't come easy, but, but it's available. So if you want it bad enough. Oh, that's beautiful. And I want to ask you what would be your best advice to any entrepreneur regarding the customer focus. We are all about being customer focused, which marketing is all about. Right. What would be your best advice? Right. When, when we started the company, we used to have T-shirts and slogans that say our customers are number two. And, um, and, <laughs> and people would say, well, why would you say that? And I said, well, it comes at the, at the point of service, the interaction between your line staff and that customer. Because it doesn't matter if you're going to a restaurant, a hotel, you know, the phone company, whatever it is, that person that's talking to the customer, that exchange has to be phenomenal. You know, uh, Nordstrom's is a Seattle company. The founders live right down the street from me. Um, you know, oh. phenomenal service-oriented company. But what yeah. makes it a service-oriented company isn't the fact that they have the best clothes or the nicest stores or whatever. What makes it a phenomenal customer service company is how they train their sales people at the point of interaction with the customers. How polite are they? Uh, how resourceful are they? Do they follow up? Do they write people nice notes? Whatever. They're, they're incredibly diligent about that. And so that's one of the things that I think is incredibly important is you have to focus on that interaction. You know, we, our new president that uh, our current president's retiring, we just hired uh, the president of Starbucks North America. Um, he, oh. he oversaw $18 billion in revenue and 182,000 staff. And, you know, what Starbucks focuses on is that interaction between that barista and that customer, you know, bringing them in every day. And so it becomes like their cheers bar that they, they understand, oh, that's Joe, the barista. Oh, that's Mr. Smith, the customer. And I'm going to make his day start right every day with this Americana or whatever their drink is. And so, you know, that I think really successful companies focuses on that point of contact and delight. You have to delight your staff, right? So if your staff think you're a rotten company and don't like their pay or don't like their benefits or don't like your culture, you know, then that point of service, that viewpoint gets conveyed in that point of service with the customer. So that's the most important thing I could share with your listeners is you really have to focus on that interaction, that point of service between the line staff and the customer. I love that. I love it so much. And it was so clear because when you started to talk, you talked about your stuff all the time. We talked and you just uh, told about the, the lottery and some other things and you talked about the stuff. And it's, it's fantastic to hear that. You've got a lot of successes. We already talked about some, but we'll get to it in a minute again. But I would like to ask you to share with us what is your biggest, most critical failure with customers? 
the one that affected your entrepreneurial journey or your journey as a manager the most? Well, I think one of the things that happens with companies is you have such a strong belief sometimes that you you're great. You're doing everything possible that you can possibly do. And I think uh, you start to drink your own Kool-Aid, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. I'm, we're fantastic. We know all the answers. And one of the things that we do in our company is we, we continually hire people from the outside. And what, what I mean from the outside is people that come from outside our industry. So, you know, our senior team is made up from one of the senior execs from Amazon, from Starbucks, from Nordstrom's, from Microsoft, from Levi, from the Gates Foundation, from Ritz-Carlton, from Four Seasons. Hmm. And when you bring these people in from the outside, then they, then they bring a critical mind. And they're like, well, you may be stuck in the paradigm of you think this is great, But this is how Four Seasons does it, and I think this is better. And so Mm -hmm. I think the greatest mistake that you make is you become arrogant. You you become so in love with your own own model, your own practice, your own operations, that you're not open to new suggestions and ideas. And so one of the things that, that I had to do was to be more open. You know, one of the practices that we have when I worked for my previous company I used, to, I used to go into the CEO. I was, I was the executive vice president. I'd go into the CEO and I'd say, I had this new idea. And he'd look, and he'd, you know, I'd give him my proposal. He's like, well, you know, I don't really think that's a great idea. The next day I go, oh, I have another idea. What if we did this? <laughs> well, you know, I like the way we're doing it now. That's not a great idea. So every time this guy rejected me, I had this black box, okay? And I would <laughs> put these ideas in this black box. Well, guess what happened when I started Aegis Living? that black box became foundational, became the business plan for our company. So the most innovative, most creative ideas that we had were in that black box. (laughs) So when we started the company, one of the things I said is, you know, if we don't allow ideas to flourish, this will be a a breakdown to our customers. Because again, we'll be believing our own, you know, kind of biblical verses here. So what I said to my staff is, we're gonna put a black box in every building. We're going to send out announcements of begging you to give us, we're going to reward you financially if your idea gets chosen and implemented, and then we're going to celebrate you. And some of our best, most creative, customer-centered, customer-focused ideas have come out of the black box. And so every, every month, there's a great idea that gets implemented. Some of our best programmatic ideas, our best efficiencies come out of that program. So I guess going back to your original question, what, what is... What's the customer failure? I don't have one specific example. I want one. I want a story. <laughs> you don't have to name people, but I want a story of your failure because you're so successful. I, I, think, I think sometimes you can choose the wrong partners. I think that would be uh, an issue. And we get caught up in people's resumes. And uh, you know, maybe they have a lot of money. Maybe they've done one thing right. Um, and I think what's critically important for your delivery of service to your customer is the alignment of thinking. Hmm. And I've made one mistake, I think, probably where I didn't choose someone well. Yeah. And I think because of that, um, it, it creates a cultural misalignment. And, you know, I was impressed with one aspect of this person. 
what and it was early in my career and you know not not now we don't have any affiliation with that person <laughs> but what you get what you get caught up with is oh they can bring this to the table and you get all excited about that at the end of the day i think what entrepreneurs always have to to be rooted in is what's my value what are, what is my ethos what do i what's my brand ethically what do I want to be known for? What kind of culture do I want to have? And then only bring in people that align with that. And um, sometimes that's hard because you have, you know, you have some venture guy or some capitalist that says, oh, I'll bring you this much money and I don't care about your culture. I don't care about how you mm -hmm. treat your people. And you may need that money. You get very tempted. It's a trap. I, I will tell you, it's a trap. Hold out. Uh, the capital today in the world is is abundant. People are begging to, to place money in good companies, hmm. not in all companies, but in good companies. So just hold that for the, for the, for the right capital. Hmm. And I love it. And I also think there is a challenge that uh, you put in front uh, of all, all of us that uh, you, on one hand, you're talking about bringing people that are different from you and uh, coming from other places. And on the other hand, you want You should find those people that are different but align with your way of thinking, your vision, the way you treat your, your values. So it's not easy to do. So can I explain that a little bit more? Please do. So, you know, we hire almost no, no people from the senior housing industry. And the reason we don't hire anyone from the senior housing industry is we don't think they're overly progressive in their thinking. Hmm. And so this goes back to the, the fact that, you know, we instill, my mother instilled confidence in me. Hmm. So I, as a CEO, the basic premise, I always want to hire people that are a lot smarter than me. Some people would argue that's a low bar, Dwayne. <laughs> But, it, it, you know, um, I, want, I, I want to be challenged as the CEO. I want people to come in and go, no, that's, that's not the right thinking. So in terms of a business perspective, in terms of operations or marketing or technology or finance or whatever, I want to be challenged. I want disruptive thinking brought into our company, okay? And that's why, you know, we have the ex-head of human resources is our chief from Amazon is our chief people officer. Hmm. You know, the, the number two marketing person at Nordstrom's is our chief marketing officer. Yeah. The, one of the heads of Levi Strauss is our VP of sales. The, One of the Bill Gates' personal finance people is our CFO. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's why we have these people in because they're bringing their way of thinking into us. Now, it's different with culture. You don't, you don't hire people that say, I don't care about culture because they have great business sense. So the first filter, the first hurdle is culture. And so, you know, when, I, uh, when my president decided she was going to retire, yeah. And we were looking for a new president. We had all kinds of smart people from multi-billion dollar companies that were incredibly good business people. But not all of them met the cultural standard. Hmm. And so, you know, we ended up hiring our current president that's going to take over here in a couple of weeks. Called, his name is Chris Ensko. Yeah. And he's an incredibly humble man that gets the culture. And I think that's one of the things that's remarkable is, again, you have to create what your cultural filter is. A lot of people don't know what their culture that's is. They're right. just like, hey, I just do business. You know, I don't know what my culture is. And, you know, there's 
now you can't hide from who you are because there's things like Glassdoor or Indeed or you know all kinds of other things that rate you as a CEO and so on. And so you know, just go on these websites and you're going to say, oh, God, I have all these negative comments, you know, mm. or you can say, wow, my people really love me, but I need to improve in these two areas. So you can't hide your culture and who you are. And the, and the greatest problem, especially in the United States right now, is people. I mean, sure. the company, the, the country has a effective unemployment of almost zero. It's about 3.7 in the nation. But about two or three of those percent of people are, are virtually un, unemployable or don't want to work. So once you get to, you know, three and a half percent unemployment, it's about 3.3 in my neighborhood. Yeah. You know, once you get to about that, there's no one left. And so mm -hmm. what that means is you you got to take people from other companies. You know, it's, you got to you got to convince people to join your company, and leave some other company. Well, guess what? One of the first things they do is they go on and they look at, you know, through social media and other things, these websites. They look at your reputation sure. and people are, people are drawn to our company because of our lifestyle. You know, Glassdoor last year voted us in the top 20 companies in the United States for work-life balance. Wow. That's really a good brand there for is, people. Yeah. They look at that and they go, I want work-life balance. I have three children. I have kids. I want to be able to go to the baseball game. You know, my husband is out of town frequently. I need some understanding about that, whatever the case may be. They want that understanding, that compassion, that empathy for their situation. And that's what a lot of, a lot of CEOs, a lot of companies don't understand. Hmm. And it goes back to, to care about your stuff first. Now I would like to ask you about your biggest success. And I want to story of your greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something you did right about approaching your customers. Um, well, I think one of our great business success, and I think this relates to the customer directly or indirectly, you know, uh, about 12 or 13 years ago, we were on the terror in terms of development and growth. And... You know, we were just growing, 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 and we were voted by Inc. Magazine as one of the fastest-growing companies in America. Wow. And I think what happens when CEOs, they love growth, right? It's, 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 their, sure. it's what juice, juices them up. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, God, we're growing here, we're doing this, and it's what drives other people crazy. Yeah. The same year that we got voted uh, fastest company, growing company in America, we got voted the best one of the best companies in America. I think that's very incongruent normally. Right. And so what that says is we never lost sight of our customer. We never, and our customer being our staff and our customer being the residents we cared for, we never lost sight of that, that our cultural filter and focus was so strong that not only did it not go down, it actually went up, you know, to be voted as one of the best companies to work for in America. And so that, that I think is a really proud accomplishment because you don't hear that very often. No. You don't hear people say, oh, I was voted as one of the best companies as, at the same year I was the fastest company. And we were. And so I think it just speaks to the fact that we really, really focus on both our resident customers and our staff customers and, and, and don't, let, don't let a distraction occur to you, even though you may be, may be going through major growth. It is amazing because uh, growth takes a lot of uh, a lot of energy. It does, and uh, and we all love, we all know that, and we love to put the goal for next year, and it should be much higher. 
and uh, right. it's not uh, especially when you take care of people i think it's 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 a big challenge so it's really impressive exactly. and thank you <laughs> it is and um you know uh, the last question i would like to ask you before my mountain question but the last one before that i would like um, to ask you about the factor of your success you know there are many factors that affect one's success however i believe that for each one of us there is one thing one factor that really makes it for us there is something that works best for us and i want to ask you what is your among all things among the stories you told us um, about the things that you care about what is your key success factor your one success factor well i think everything that i try to do in the world um results in good and i think um i think too many people probably focus on you know they get wrapped up in their ego in terms of making money or how big their companies are you know what kind of material things they have everything that i do has to resort back to good and um it's very very important to me you know last month i had a private meeting with the pope yeah um at the vatican wow <laughs> and, and you know he he's an incredible man he and is. everything he does is he does with a tremendous humility and making good in the world making people feel good in the world in fact if i can tell a quick story we were we we're having dinner at the vatican and i was sitting next to the ambassador to egypt and and there was a conversation about the food yeah. in uh in, in at the vatican and i won't say who but one of the people said the food's not very good and one of the vatican employees came over and he said Well, let me tell you what has happened here in the last quarter. And he said, since Pope Francis came on, he said there used to be three levels of food. There used to be this dinner, like a buffet dinner, and then like a state dinner. And he said, Pope Francis said, we don't, we don't have three levels of human beings. Hmm. We have one level of human being, and we'll all eat the same thing. Hmm. And I think, you know, that left a profound effect on me that, You know we're all people we're we're all the same bond. It doesn't matter if you have more money, less money, run a big company, little mm -hmm. company, no company. If you're the dishwasher or the CEO, it doesn't matter. We're all people, and we all have the same basic needs. And so what I want to do in in my life is whether it's through helping my residents or helping my staff or you know writing books that you know help people and I give money to charity. Um, I've written a play called Seven Ways to Get There that's touring. Um, I've, I have a movie company that does social justice movies. Again, I make no money on any wow. of these things. But, you know, it's about, it's about promoting good. And I think there's, I have this, I always tell my staff, good always trumps evil. You know, something bad happens in the company. I just said, just wait, good will trump evil. Hmm. And, You know, I always believe that. I always believe good will overshadow, over, override anything that happens evil. It may take some time. You may have to say, man, the good's not coming. I hope it comes pretty quickly. Hmm. But, you know, good will always overshadow e evil. And I think that's my, that's a belief system that I hold true. Yeah. Um, and, and that's gotten me through a lot. Wow. 
I love this say. Now it's the time for my mountain question. I always imagine this journey, and my listeners know that by, by now. I always imagine this journey of marketing, of building some kind of, um, you know, it feels a bit strange talking about marketing after all what you say about good, but I hope I'm doing good as well. But when we're sure. talking about marketing, we're talking about building some kind of a brand or taking position in the mind of our customers. And I always imagine that as climbing a mountain, you know, step after step after step, getting this trust and building kind of visual in the mind of the customers. And in some point, I started to ask my guests in this show whether they ever climbed the mountain or wished to climb a mountain or do they plan or do they have any relationships with mountains at all? And I usually talk about physical mountains, about literally a mountain, and I'm asking you the same. Wow. Well, first of all, I think it's a brilliant question because <laughs> there's so many ways that you could take this, you know, whether you take it metaphorically or whether you take it physically. Um, I'm not a mountain climber. Um, I did set my Peloton treadmill to 12% grade this morning, if that counts. Um, <laughs> it but is, I'm not, in a way. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a mountain climber, but I, I do have a story about a mountain climber that is very inspirational to me. I have a good friend. His name is Fred. And uh, he's the CEO of one of the largest uh, latex glove companies in the world. Um, very successful company. And he's a very close friend of mine. And when he was about 46 or 47, he's uh, 56, 57 now. So mm -hmm. this is about 10 years ago. He, he said to me one day, I'm going to become a mountain climber. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, when your friends say things like that, you go, yeah, whatever, you know, because a lot of, a lot of people <laughs> it's say the, It's things, the 50 right? crisis, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. 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 He's gone almost, the, I'm going to become a mountain climber. He's like, okay, well, I'm going to become a Formula One driver. Let's go do those things. You know? <laughs> so he tells me this and then I see him the following week and he's, he's walking 10 miles with a hundred pound pack on his back. And I'm looking at him I'm like, what, what are you doing? He's got these ankle weights on and stuff. He was like, I'm practicing to climb a mountain, to climb, you know, <laughs> uh, one of the highest peaks in the world. I'm like, you're serious about this? He's like, yeah, I'm serious. I'm going to do it. So over the course of the last 10 years, he's climbed all out of the seven peaks. He's climbed six of the seven peaks and been to Everest Base Camp. So you could say six and a half of the world seven peaks. Six and a yeah. half. Definitely six and yeah. a half. And Wow. And he took his son with him when he did Everest Base Camp, who was 12 at the time, and he's climbed Kilimanjaro with his son and other. And he's trying to install, and he talks about the pain his son's gone through and so on. He's trying to install this, this stalwart attitude about, you know, hey, you can push through pain and you can do these things. And he's, he's a hero of mine because, you know, I think mm -hmm. one of the things, there's so many of us that have these Walter Mitty moments, you know, that dream of, oh, you know, I'm going to be whatever, a weightlifter, a Formula One driver, you know, whatever your dream is, a rock star, whatever, especially as we get in, in midlife or 50s or 60s or whatever you are. But here's a guy who said, hey, I'm not too old to do this. I'm, I'm going to do this. I know it's going to take immense commitment, immense training, some physical pain, a, a great amount of time. And again, he's a busy CEO. He's very successful, but he did it. And so I tell that story a lot because 
you know, he's he, he just has amazing fortitude. And he doesn't really look and say, hey, I'm this old. And, you know, it wasn't like he was a marathon runner before. He, I mean, he kind of worked out average. Um, he walks a lot, but he wasn't, he wasn't Joe athlete. Um, if you, if you, if you yeah. met him, you wouldn't think, oh, you're a mountain climber. Um, but <laughs> I, I, it's so, so inspirational for me. It is. It is. It's inspiring. Here's a guy that just said, hey, I'm going to do it. And I know it's going to take a tremendous commitment, but I did it. So that, that's my mountain story. It's a beautiful mountain story. And thank you for that. Yes. And before we say goodbye, I just want to ask you, what is the best way to contact you, to be in touch with you or to follow you for any one yeah. of our listeners that would like to hear, to read your books, to see what you're doing or just to approach yeah. you? Yeah, well, I'm on Instagram uh, at Dwayne, D-W-A-Y-N-E, J Clark, C-L-A-R-K. So you can follow me on Instagram if you want to contact me. My website is, is the same, D-W-A-Y-N-E-J-C-L-A-R-K, no E. Um, and that's mm. my website, DwayneJClark.com. And, uh, you know, if you want any of my books, they're on Amazon. And uh, 30 Summers More will be released in late June. And, you know, I'm happy, you know, I, I mentor a tremendous amount of people. So always welcome questions or things that you, your, your listeners may have. So if I can be uh, some good in their life, I'm happy to do it. That's fantastic. And we will have all the links that you just said in the show notes of this interview. Then what a fascinating discussion it was. It was so interesting to listen to you. I really thank you. For oh, that. thank you. I'm honored to be on your show. It is a great honor to have you, and thank you so much. I think this whole conversation brought so much things to think about and inspiration, and thank you so well, much. Well, great. Thank you, Haida, and congratulations on your show. You do a great job, so keep up doing good. Thank you. Let's all keep up doing good. I think it's a great way to end that, and take care. Bye-bye. Bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.